the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and live sports than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get ad free, exclusive content all day long. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Trinetti. Happy Monday. Week seven in the NFL is plenty through. Rough week from a fantasy standpoint, from a gambling standpoint. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to open with the ramifications for the Chiefs acquiring Deshaun Watson. I'm kidding. (laughs) But I am going to go down that road today in terms of Deshaun, his trade possibilities, and three specific scenarios in terms of quarterbacks and their current teams, and what it looks like, what the future might hold, obviously the financial aspects to it. Um, so that'll be up front here. And then on the backside, of course, we have a World Series matchup. I break down some finances for that, how they're kind of constructed, what it looks like from a gambling standpoint, and how those teams stack up in 2022 from a projection standpoint. But first here off the top, um, I would be remiss if I didn't title this conversation with at least some thoughts on Deshaun Watson because... You know, he shouldn't be traded. (laughs) Okay, let's be realistic. There shouldn't be an NFL owner out there who would be willing to take on this quarterback because of what's hanging out there, because of the allegations, because of the looming suspension. And unfortunately, uh, I've been in this game too long. And I'm seeing a lot of really smart people have been in the game longer than me in terms of front office moves, transactions, things like that. It's basically saying, no, this isn't happening. You know, there's too much unknown. Nobody would want to have to explain to their fan base that they're doing this in spite of all this. I, unfortunately, this is the wrong league for that kind of empathy, in my opinion. This guy can play quarterback. He wants to play quarterback for somebody else. He's going to be able to choose which team he goes to here because of his no trade clause. And, uh, if there's an eight-game suspension and, you know, a couple of million dollars worth of PR involved to kind of make this go away in, in this new city, unfortunately, I could see two to three owners chalking it up and saying, let's just get this done because the quarterback position is this important. It is this important to all of sports, unfortunately. If your team in your city doesn't have a viable quarterback option, your team is not doing well right now. And if you look at the standings, that's exactly how it breaks down, unfortunately. It is so heavily reliant on (laughs) good quarterback play that something like this can just be overlooked or at least pushed through. Now, let me finish it with this conversation. We're eight days from the trade deadline, actually seven now from the trade deadline, November 2nd, 4 p.m. Eastern. Do I believe Deshaun Watson moves? I don't. I know that there's rumblings and you know the rap sheets of the world and the good morning footballs of the world are saying it's ramping up something's really about to come the panthers are in the eagles might be in the dolphins are absolutely they've always been in i'm under the impression that a real offer has not been made that there is nothing there but that houston knows if they wait to the offseason with this 
it's only worse for them because we get to the February litigation, we get to a lot of things that could change the mindsets of people right now. Right now, Deshaun Watson is a great NFL quarterback with a legal issue, you know, to put it sort of lightly. In February, he may be a criminal, unfortunately, because of some of those charges who used to be a great quarterback. And at that point, there's just no value in that for Houston. And I, re- I realize I'm tiptoeing a fine line here between football business and you know real life and a lot of real life situations and allegations. But again, it's the NFL. And I've seen this happen too many times to at least not put this out there and say, this could happen. I don't think it will. I'm going to say that again. I don't think this gets done. I don't think, even if an offer comes in, I think it's going to be a low ball offer because of everything I just said. I don't think there's a battle between Carolina and Miami to the point of where we're talking absolutely three firsts plus a player plus a second. I don't think we're getting anywhere close to that with any kind of offer if it exists right now. I believe teams are saying, you got to get rid of them now because of what could happen in six months or five months. We, we'll take him on. We'll take the PR hit. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with him from a personal standpoint and certainly what's going on with him legally. But it's going to be for you know, a first and a conditional second or something like that. I, I, that's my guess, that if an offer comes in, it's going to be low ball city. So I don't think he moves. With that said, the point of this conversation today is not really Deshaun Watson, although he's certainly the elephant in the room with some of these conversations. But Sam Darnold and the Panthers, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, and Trey Lance and the 49ers. Three very different situations, in my opinion, but worthy of being in one conversation from how I'm going to break this down. So let's start with the Panthers. And I've already said it. I don't think it's, it bears saying again. They're probably interested in Deshaun Watson because Sam Darnold's playing garbage football right now. And their backup quarterback is Philip Walker, a UDFA from the Colts. Okay. So it's not like... You know, they uh, they handcuff Sam Darnold with what could be their next quarterback. It, they're all in on Darnold, and I'll get to that in a second. But f- four reasons why Deshaun Watson is a difficult get for the Carolina Panthers. The first, what, with what should be the most obvious, is the previous Panthers owner was forced to sell the team because of excessive workplace misconduct, essentially sexual misconduct, harassment. He was forced to sell an NFL team. That just doesn't happen. Okay, we saw it happen in the NBA with the LA Clippers because there were, you know, audio tapes, audio recordings of harassment and misconduct. And there was a bit of a hangover, I think, with that. And the Panthers owner, who did a lot of things wrong, was forced to sell from the NFL. It's rare. It's very rare. And, and that story is not being talked about enough in regards to this Deshaun situation because now you're going to bring in a quarterback, right? Maybe 1A importance to the owner in terms of a team and franchise, and he's going to have this with him attached to him right now? That's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. So that's to me, is the biggest reason that Carolina should be out from a human standpoint. Um, I think Miami probably could offer a better offer. And... You know, I think Deshaun would probably pick Miami over Carolina right now. Not from so much from a roster standpoint, but from a standard of living standpoint, right? Wanting to live in Miami versus Carolina. To me, that's close. And, and I'm not sure on that one. And, and again, that goes into the no trade clause. So 
no trade clause. Miami's probably offering more if they're offering anything. The Panthers should should strongly consider, uh, you know, pulling back on this because of their previous owner situation. And, and here's the other one that transitions into the financials of Darnold. There's 19 million on the books for Darnold next year. 18.8. The fifth year option was exercised in April. It is it is fully guaranteed at this at the time of that exercise. So something's going to happen with that. You know, is a third team going to try to take on Sam Darnold and Carolina is going to eat 16 million of that? Maybe. It's possible. I guess that's maybe the most likely option right now. To me, the most likely option is he's just sitting on the team as a backup, as a, as a $19 million backup for whatever else they do at quarterback. Uh, and and we just move on from there. But that that's the situation at hand. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes because it doesn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. They acquired Darnold, Darnold from the Jets for a couple of mid-round picks, essentially. It was a good move, I thought. I thought it was a really good alternative move to just going into the draft and trying to swing high. He's $4.7 million guaranteed this year. They had to make the option decision by May 1st, so that's why April 30th is the date you see on SpotTrack for that exercise. But why did they have to exercise? Was it, was it that vital to Sam Darnold's confidence that, or to the fan base, maybe, that the Panthers brought on a guy who's not just a rental, that, hey, he's here for two years, we're going to make this work. You know, $23 million for a quarterback over two years is really chump change. We're just going to go with it. And all of that is probably right. $23 million is chump change, and it's value. To me, that's the word I keep coming back to, is value, which is the wrong approach when you have a halfway decent team and you're just trying to fix this one really important position. To me, you should be all in on whatever it takes. And it sounds like they ran on Stafford. It sounds like they had feelers out on Rodgers. So I'm not saying they didn't try to make other efforts. But in this case specifically, I would have loved to give myself the opportunity to go left or right and not be stuck in the middle. And that's where I think this is going. I think Carolina is going to be stuck right in the middle with Sam Darnold, which is they're going to have to work their ass off to buy him out, trade him off, or just live with it with a really expensive backup quarterback because if they don't exercise the option, what are their options? A multi-year extension. If he's great, a franchise tag, which is yes, 30 some million dollars, you know, not 18.8, but then you turn a franchise tag into a multi-year extension because you love the guy anyway, or you just sign him to a bridge deal because nobody's clamoring to get Sam. Even if Sam Darnold throws, 35 touchdowns and 12 interceptions and, Pan- and the Panthers go to the, uh, you know, the, the NFC championship series. Even if that happens, you're not going to have teams lined up for this guy because it's the one year. It's a one. Can he do it again? It's a bit of a Tannehill situation. To me, the Tannehill contract was where this was going, which is not 40 million a year. It's 28. It's two, you know, three years guaranteed 28 million per year. Maybe you're at 60 million of guarantees when it's all said and done. Maybe, probably not even that much um, because of where this came from. And by the way, Sam Darnold was paid pretty well over the past couple of years. To me, they had time to understand him this year, slow compensate him next year, 
and then go on from there. And maybe that's what they consider the fifth year option is, is the initial slow compensation. Except for now, they don't even know if they want to play him. They benched him in the fourth quarter yesterday. They're going to be putting Philip Walker in at some point in time here because they're sliding backwards and the, and the point's going to be to lose ball games. Um, it's ugly now. It's ugly. And you could argue that even though there's value in the fifth year option, that they could have got value a lot of other ways. One of which being, you know, a one-year fully guaranteed contract with an option year and year two in terms of a bridge deal. Teddy Bridgewater has been getting these for three years. And it's been working because they've been able to keep cap hits low. They've been able to build around him more wherever he's been. And his rosters have been generally good. The Saints have been able to certainly work around him. And Denver, he walked into a Denver situation that was already pretty well, pretty well built, just needed, you know, a good financial structure to his contract. They made it work. There's a lot of ways to make things work. But unless they restructure this fit, this fifth-year option, which they're probably going to have to do, it's a mess. It's a mess. And to me, it's a mess they didn't have to get themselves into in April. They should have cut bait, said, look, we're going to give it the one year. We're fully guaranteed almost $5 million. We're certainly going to be in conversation with you if things are going well. And, we, and you know, this is a relationship to keep going forward. But just no reason to do this. And we're going to see more of it, by the way, because like I said, now they become fully guaranteed the second you exercise it. It used to be up until this past class that you could exercise it, but it wouldn't lock in until the next league year. So March, you know, 13, 14, 15th, they were injury guaranteed right away, but the full guarantees didn't kick until next March. That's, that's now changed with the new CBA. So you're going to see a lot more declines in my opinion, because of what I just said, we want options. We want the ability to say, all right, you know, 20 million a year on a quarterback or 20 million for the option on a quarterback. That's not going to work for us on a one-year package. Let's make it two for 35, two for 36. We'll guarantee you that, you know, 18, 19, but it's spread out more for our cap purposes. It's all possible. Now, what you know, we saw a fifth-year option get restructured into four additional void years this year. So there's semantics to make it all work cap-wise. I just don't know if they want to be paying Sam Darnold $18.8 million next year in any capacity. So that's one. Let's move on to the Eagles because the Eagles are a bit of a, of, of a, well, there's everything involved here. Number one, if you're just looking at box scores or fantasy uh, tables, Jalen Hurts looks like a pretty competent quarterback. I mean, his numbers on a weekly basis are two and change, generally two touchdowns. He's rushing for 50 plus yards. His completion percentage is, gar- percentage is garbage. And oh, by the way, the Eagles defensive percentage is historically bad. I mean, like, like they're giving up the most efficient quarterback play in the history of football against them. So the team as a whole is a nightmare. We, we expected that with $57 million of dead cap and a lot of movement in terms of the quarterback position and other places. So hurts specifically to me, stats aside, he's just not passing the eye test. And I think a lot of smart people that analyze this stuff a lot, you know, more deep dive than I do have been saying this all the way along, and I don't think they're coming off that, certainly not from yesterday's performance. So he's just not taking the steps forward. And a lot of t- a lot of players do take three years to get there, so it's early. But, and here's the big but. A, there's what could be a viable backup plan on the roster right now. Now, Flacco at one for three and a half is just a clipboard you know, work with the guy at practice for an overpayment situation. I, I was gawking at that contract the second it happened. 
whatever. They're not paying much for anybody else. So if they want to give him basically an assistant coaching job at three and a half million, let's do it. But the acquisition of Gardner Minshew is interesting to me because that's a guy who can play football. Now he's not an elite quarterback. I don't think he's going to progress. His ceiling certainly isn't as high as you know your top echelon tiers. But he's a young man's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is that probably the right way to say it? And in that regard, he could very easily be the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles next year if Hertz continues to sort of level off. All right. Financially speaking, let's talk about those two. Hertz has two years, two and a half million left on his rookie contract after this year, but none of it's guaranteed. This is not a first round contract. All right. This was the last year of guarantees on that rookie deal. So for the next two years, he's basically a wash. They can get rid of him for a signing bonus dead cap and move on. So he's completely on the block right now in terms of the cut block, the trade block, whatever they have to do with them. He's also very cheap as a backup quarterback if they go that route. Now, Minshew has one more year left next year, 965, the minimum salary, and it's not guaranteed. So there's no guaranteed dollars on, on NFL quarterbacks in 2022 for the Philadelphia Eagles, which means they have a clean slate if they want it, or they have two halfway decent options to keep on the roster, which is the route I believe they'll go. Because as many of you already know, they also have what we think is going to be three first round picks. And right now, and I'm actually going to look this up right now, real time, to see if I can get an updated look. Right now, those picks are two from Miami, their own at six, and then Indies has now dropped to 13th. It was ninth yesterday. So, so Indies' situation yesterday got dropped them to 13th. Carson Wentz could be out for the season at any point in time, which would make that a second round pick, not a first. So that one is the one that's going to be up in the air a bit. That's also the later pick. But for, for now, there's three first round picks in the top 13, which is a ton of ammo. And to me, the most interesting thing, and, and I'm going to have some draft people on in the coming weeks here, probably in the next couple of days as well, to sort of allude to this, but it's something I've heard quite a bit. It's not going to be a great quarterback draft. It's not going to be where if you don't, if you're not the number one pick and you're not, you know, you're going to want to move up to three to get the number two guy. I don't think it's that kind of situation, at least not yet, from how the big boards are are un- unloading here. So, okay, they've got draft ammo. There's now routes they could go alternatively, right? It could be we're going to give Jalen his third year, which why not? It's dirt cheap and not guaranteed. It could be we're going to let Jalen and Gardner compete. On, with non-guaranteed salaries and whatever sort of happens throughout the summer, we're going to let that play out in 2022 because we're still in the process of figuring out what our long-term option is at quarterback. And oh, by the way, if one of those guys actually progresses nicely in our system in 2022, now we've got that option as well. To me, that's the most likely scenario. Is the most likely scenario Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers? It's possible it's possible. To me, Aaron Rodgers in Philly is down the list for, for teams he would move to. It's on the list for Russell, in my opinion, if that really does fall sideways. And it looks like it very well could. Now, it doesn't get to a trade situation. I'm not going to foreshadow that. But those are two guys who certainly could be hanging out there. Let's just put it that way. And having draft capital, immediate draft capital, puts you in the driver's seat to acquire somebody like that. So let's say it that way. The same could be Jimmy Garoppolo, who could be outright released. I would expect that is part of an offseason conversation. You know, is he an upgrade from Gardner Minshew or from a young Jalen Hurts in his third year? I think a lot of people would say yes. 
in a lot of instances. So that would be available to you. Mitchell Trubisky is sitting behind Josh Allen right now. If you want to kind of revive that and see what that had, you know, where he's taking steps forward under Brian Dable's system, that's a possibility. The point is this. There's going to be options for quarterback, whether it's in the draft, whether it's out of the draft, uh, free agency slash trade acquisition. Those are all going to be the available, and, the, and Philly is going to be in the driver's seat for that. Or we simplify it, and Philly basically says what I had what I initially said, which is we're going to keep Hurts, we're going to keep Minshew, let them duke it out, let them both kind of feel out our system in 2022. We're not really expecting to win a ton of games yet, even though we're you know, we've got some pieces into the puzzle. We need to add more pieces, and that brings me to the point. Now we've got this draft capital to add offensive linemen, defensive linemen, certainly secondary pieces. You know, they probably need more in terms of uh, a weapon or two. They, they, they did took a high first-round pick wide receiver this year. They did move on from Zach Ertz. Dallas Garrett's going to need a big contract to stick around if that's in the cards, or maybe he wants to move on himself. So there's going to be plenty of holes to fill across this board. Let's put it this way. And they're going to be one year removed from the, from the, the, the $58 million of dead cap. So it's going to be a time to start replenishing the pool, but slowly. And why would you rush to get an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson if the rest of your pool is half full? To me, that's the wrong scenario, even though I get it. Those guys don't come up available you know, every five years. It's just the, not the way things work. But I don't think they're ready for it. I think they, they have to slow play this thing. Probably the Gardner Minshew trade was smarter than a lot of people gave it credit for. I know there are a lot of people thinking, what the hell is this? Why didn't the Jets do this? Why didn't Washington do this? I think Philly swooped in with this in mind. Hey, we need a 2022 quarterback battle. This guy's under term. It's completely low risk, just like Jalen's contract will be. We're going to build up some pieces around them or you know the team specifically, and then if we have to start over in 2023 at the quarterback position, we'll start over. You know, we're going to be a bad team with a good high draft pick at that point as well. So I think it's the right approach to slow play this thing at the quarterback position. Use what you have. Try to get some, uh, you, you know, some higher ceilings out of both of these players or each of these players and fill in the pool the rest of the, uh, across the roster. So that's to me, Philly. The, the, my hair isn't on fire with this team at all. It really isn't. Um, and it's because of Jalen Hurts being in year two. Now, the eye test is bad. Uh, I'm worried. I'm certainly concerned that he doesn't have it from a mental standpoint, from a, uh, I mean, the talent is there, but I guess this is how I'd, I'd evaluate him right now. He's an athletic player who isn't skilled enough at quarterback to overcome when things break down. And there's a lot of chaos right now in the Eagles system, what, because it's a new coach, it's a new system. To me, there's a lot of chaos. And he isn't Lamar, Patrick Mahomes gifted enough, Josh Allen gifted enough to, when life breaks down on the field, overcome it, consistently overcome it. That could come in year three. It did for Josh Allen. It certainly did for Mahomes, although Mahomes have showing plenty of signs for that. Um, but if you're comparing Hurts to Jackson, Jackson won his MVP now. That's not going to be the case here. So he's behind, but I'd be willing from a team standpoint, from where my team building window is, I'd be more than willing to give him year three with Minshew and be happy with that. All right, final one, Trey Lance and the 49ers. This is a very different conversation from the first two we had here for a lot of reasons. Um, 
am I the only one that sees Jimmy Garoppolo and 80% of the time I really I really enjoy him. I think he makes smart decisions. He's not a an elite gifted quarterback. He's not Aaron Rodgers by any capacity. But I think he's really smart. I really do. I, I think he's physically a step behind, like a tier low tier two quarterback at best. But the more I look at this 49ers roster, the more I think to myself, we're we're not crushing this front office and coaching staff enough for swinging and missing so much. I I think this should be a consistent quarterback or a Super Bowl contender, regardless of the quarterback play. I think that the defense is, was built properly, although we're, what we're finding is building for the defensive line and not doing so much in the secondary is kicking people in the ass. The 49ers, the Washington football team, the Philadelphia Eagles are built that way. It is the wrong way to do it right now in football. The Bears, for for a lot of reasons, are having those those kind of struggles. They're very well well built on the defensive line, which is not. I'm not saying it's not important, but if you're doing so, and, and in a lot of ways, the Chiefs are like this too. By the way, if if that's where you're allocating a large majority, versus, you know, we're going to let the secondary work itself out. You know, we like good mid round draft picks there that can kind of fly around the field. It's not enough anymore. You got to have some savvy, experienced players in your secondary to stop these quarterbacks because the quarterback play in a lot of cases is absolutely excellent. So to me, that's where the four dinners are deficient in that secondary. And I would put their weapons up there as, as deficient as well. You know, the Elijah Mitchell situation is just lightning in a bottle. He's a sixth round pick, you know, and he's the guy going hundred plus yards a week for you. That's you got, you got real lucky on that one. Cause I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing from Trey Sermon, who was a third round pick. Mostert's been injured the past two years, and now he's an expiring contract. So you're going to re-up on him with the injury history? Most likely not. If we're talking about the wide receivers, they mentioned on the broadcast last night, Brandon Ayuk was supposed to be one of the premier wide receivers in football this year. He was going to be given the keys to this offense. Regardless of the quarterback, he was going to be the major target. He's a healthy scratch week one because of whatever internal issues and can barely find targets right now. He's a first. He's a first round contract, fully guaranteed through twenty twenty three, plus a fifth year option. And for my money, he's a trade candidate. Not not this off, not this deadline, but come this winter, if things are still this chaotic with that situation, he's on the trade block for me. He's on the roster bubble for me. And then Debo Samuel, who does look like he sort of figured some things out, he's now non guaranteed, but only through next year. So he's basically going to be on expiring contract next year. And of course, they're missing Kittle. And a lot of their offenses run through Kittle, who's basically fully guaranteed through 2023. So that's going to be there. And to me, that's a reason you can move on from some of these wide receivers and try to start over there if there's just not a chemistry. And they have to do that. That has to be part of this plan, regardless of who's going to be the quarterback in 2022. You know, they they did a lot of work on the offensive line, certainly with Trent Williams and his contract. He's injured, but... That seems to have worked, and that generally does. When you go big and pay big on the offensive line, you'll be rewarded in some degree. So to me, they've done a lot of things right, but they're not getting enough credit for what they're not doing wrong or not doing enough of. And to me, it's weapons and secondary. And that's going to be an expensive offseason from a draft standpoint, which they won't have a first-round pick, or a free agent standpoint. So to me, if I'm forecasting San Francisco... I'm probably sticking right with this quarterback situation. I'm paying Garoppolo in, in the final year of his contract. It's almost $26 million. 
I'm restructuring that with four years if I have to, to, to lower the cap hit. You know, Trey Lance has three years and over 11 million fully guaranteed left, plus the fifth year option. There's no rush. And I want to give San Francisco some credit here too. They came right out this summer, right after drafting Trey Lance, knowing what they had just done to go get him and said, he's raw. He's not going to be ready. We know he's not going to be ready. We're treating this situation as if it's going to be slowly played to eventually give the keys to Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo is our guy. They, they lived up to it, and they were right, by the way. Trey Lance is super raw. Okay, he is not ready for full-time action right now. A couple of wildcats a game, sure, get him on the field, use him as you can. The problem, though, is what I already alluded to. They gave up number 12, a 2022, a 2022 first, a 2022 third, a 2023 first to go up to three to get this guy. It's a king's ransom, okay? And it's something we don't see too often. And when it happens in this day and age, everybody talks about it all the time, every week. Every week that Trey Lance isn't playing, there's going to be a discussion about, can you believe what they gave up for a guy who's sitting on the bench? Even though him sitting on the bench is the right move. And it used to be the only move. Everything doesn't have to change all the time, 100%. It doesn't have to be all left or all right. There has to be a middle ground. And for me, Trey Lance is that middle ground. And they drafted him knowing that. They're playing the long run, which I don't agree with. I think everybody should be playing the short term in every sport right now. There's no long-term planning for anybody. Anywhere. Not even college football or college basketball anymore, right? Not just because of one and dones, because the transfer window has now made free agency widely available. So pick a sport where this guy is going to lock in and we can sit back and buy a jersey and he's our guy for the next 13 years. It just doesn't happen anymore. So I don't agree with what they're doing with Trey Lance. If he was this raw, then he was A, not worth going up for with that much aggression, and B, he just wasn't the guy. You know, use that kind of trade for a guy who's not raw, who you can replace Garoppolo with, clear your finance table a little bit more, have a little bit more finance available for wide receivers, a backup tight end of, of, of consequence, a cornerback who can shut down a ridiculous division right now, you know, quarterback wise. There were a lot more priorities and having Garoppolo on the roster hurts because he's expensive. You know, he's he, and he would be a crazy expensive backup quarterback. But now we're here. They've done it. So I can't even complain about that anymore. It's done. And now I've come all the way to the other side of it now. And again, after seeing Garoppolo a couple of times now, and I know he's not 100%, I just like the progressions that he makes. I like his decision making. He's not gifted enough to overcome some of his, you know, bad throws or ball slips or whatever you're going to do. And he's going to have probably a pick a game. He's just that kind of quarterback. I think he's good enough to stick around in this current situation. There should be no need to go and change everything at that position right now or throw Lance in 2022 week one. To me, there's no way he's ready for that. So I'm restructuring Jimmy. I'm keeping him as QB one as long as he's available through next year. And I'm letting Trey Lance get another full year of education and maturation and the works. And oh, by the way, another year of the 49ers building a team around Trey Lance because two very different scenarios, Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, Kyle Shanahan's getting the quarterback he wanted originally, 
But that's not what he had, which means his team wasn't built properly for that type of quarterback. So another year of free agency, which I think they'll be heavy in because of the no draft pick in the first round, because of the deficiencies that I just laid out here. So this is a really crazy, interesting team. And to me, it has nothing to do with the quarterback positions, you know, instability. To me, it's, well, this is the bed that they've made. Now they have to go build the house around it. And that makes for a lot of spending. What could be a lot of movement, maybe some trades uh, from that defensive line. It's very possible if they have to free things up. You know, they have the highest paid inside linebacker right now. There's a lot moving on in terms of finances with this team. And I think it'll be very fluid this winter. So very much a team to keep an eye on, not because of Trey Lance, in my opinion, but because of everything else going on around him. Let's get to some baseball. But first, today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Balanced Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balanced Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and can customize a repayment plan catered to your clients financial objectives, borrow wisely and cost effectively, avoid broker fees, and there's no penalty if you pay it back early. Whether your client is currently under contract and needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow for any other reason, let Balance Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be the resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. Scott, welcome to the show. The World Series starts Tuesday, tomorrow night. I'm going to go backwards in terms of how our notes look here. Let's get the gambling. Okay. Let's get the gambling out of the way off the top of the show here. What do you think? <laughs> sure. What name on this MVP list stands out for you? Now we just said Eddie Rosario, right? That was kind of the big one in the NLCS. Is there a name? I guess I should start with this. Which team are you favoring first? Because I guess that's going to dictate this conversation. I'm going to go Atlanta. Is it close for you? It is close. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go Atlanta because I believe I, if I remember correctly, I did what <laughs> Chicago White Sox and Atlanta. And you have real money on Atlanta, correct? And I do have money on Atlanta. Okay, yes. So that was a stupid question. So you're thinking what? Six games? Six yeah, is the I, favorite. Seven is next. Then it's five. Yeah, I would go with that. Okay. Atlanta and six. So which Atlanta Brave then wins the World Series MVP? I have, by the way, I ha- I'm with you down that path. Okay. I wonder if we get to the same name here, though. To me, it's great odds, and I love it. I'm going to go Albies. Okay. That's not a bad idea. I- I'm-, I'm in the exact same odd frame as you. I think it's Charlie Morton. I saw that name there. So two it- reasons, right? Number one, he's starting game one, which means he's going to be back for one of those really integral middle games. And then if this thing goes Correct. seven... He's that superhero that goes out there for two innings, you know what I mean, in the middle of a yep. game or the end of a game. And by the way, you got the storyline because he was an Astro. Yes, you're right. I, I love everything about it at 21 to 1. Are you kidding me? Give me all the money in the world for it. I think it's the perfect, uh, the perfect long shot bet for this World Series. And uh, I'm with you on Atlanta. All right, let's run through some of these numbers. It's a pretty good matchup. By the way, let's start here. 2021 taxpayer rolls. I love giving the rankings this time of year. And I love talking about it in this regard. Atlanta Braves were ranked 15th, Scott. This, right is now, this is now officially a trend. This is now officially not fluky. The middle of the pack always gets it done somehow. So if they win the World Series, it'll just be another example. Upwards of a dozen since we've been doing spot track. 
from all these four big sports of a, of a team that's been financially in the middle, getting all the way to the finish line. And they're, they're primed to do it here. And yes, Houston is fourth right now in tax payroll, but we have to think about where these teams are, right? Where these teams came from in their window or where they are in their window. Houston four years ago was 20th, you know? And the second yeah. you win the World Series, whether you cheat or not, <laughs> you have to start paying to keep it going. You have to pay to win. And they did. They, they selectively paid you know, free agents, a couple of new acquisitions, some of their own, not all of their own. You know, Springer's out the door. And now they've got the, to, to a point where they've got high arbitration guys, free agents, some of their extensions, and they're the fourth payroll in the league. So I look at that specifically, Scott, and I say... Is this the last hurrah for this team? Now, they've got a, some decent youth on the pitching mound that's really kind of carrying the day. And we'll get to the pitching money in a second here. But, you know, Carlos Correa is the big free agent. I don't think they want to push $300 million at him, knowing what we know about their tax situation. I look at this as they started in the 20s. They're now up to fourth in four years. Is this an organization that can sustain that? I'm not sure. And it's a, I think it's a fair question. Yeah, that's an absolutely fair question. I think the you know that window is probably toward the end here. I mean, we saw Springer leave last offseason. Who's next? And this may be their last hurrah. I think I think it's fair to look at it that way for sure because, and I guess new CBAs can change a lot of things and lockouts and, can change a lot of things. But we're gonna kind of leave those on the sidelines for now, right? And do, and don't you think to a certain extent some of those players from the seventeen team how many are left got, do you know it, I, I know the answer how many are on the roster from 2017 what i don't know what five or six it's five it is five, five. yeah okay. <laughs> if you're any of those players don't don't you have to think i i may need to go to another team for the just for a, a new fresh air you know look at what happened with alex cora he went to boston yeah. it was a it was a note but it was a note that had to be reminded by somebody that he was with Houston. Whereas if you're on Houston, it's just going to be an automatic reminder and not someone having to reiterate. They were part of the 17 team. I, I understand your point. I look at this team as they have trimmed off the players who had that mindset. The guys who are here, which is basically the starting infield, by the way, the guys that are here, love that. They love being the villains. And I think there's a place for that in this game. I think there's a need for that in this game too. So in that regard, does this team yeah, we, win the World Series and then say, we have to pay Carlos Correa? Otherwise, we're just going to be the old Houston Astros again. Th there's a yeah. world where that happens and they overpay for a good player and never get back here. here let me throw some stats at you before you, it, you, you it, counter. Yeah. Because Jeff Passan had an unbelievable piece on this team this uh, this afternoon, or excuse me, la yet last night that I got to this morning. Scott, this team led the league in batting average. This team led the league in fewest strikeouts. This team led the league in least swings and misses, least swings in general. They know exactly what they're doing up there all the time, whether they know what pitch is coming or not. You know, and he was not shy about lacing that into the conversation. But they're winning in all the stats that most teams don't give a rat's behind about. And that's why this team is, is consistently back. It's very Tampa Bay's-esque 
Tampa Bay Rays-esque, only add another $150 million on the payroll. So if, if this winning has provided them enough financial stability to keep going, then I, I'll ask you again, do they have to give it up? No, I don't think they have to give it up. If if they're if they're going to continue to win, then the dollars are going to be there because you're going to get the ticket sales. You're going to get the yeah. you know. And we the the point I was going to bring in what what you were saying was we talked about in hockey how there isn't that Rivalries. person yeah. that the rivalry, the hate, or whatever I was bringing up. Similar situation, the villain. If they can really take on that villain. Uh, persona, that's good for baseball because when they go to play a Tampa Bay game or play a Milwaukee game or play in Colorado, those are fans are going to want to go to those games because they want to quote unquote boo them or they're going to be that team that you have to go see. And that's what baseball needs. So if they have to be that villain persona and they want to take that on, Mm -hmm. I'm all for it. I, I I agree. And, you know, that'll probably start to diminish a little bit next year. But if they win, now we have to put them up there with the all-time. This is, what is this? Five straight ALCSs? F- three out of five World Series? Uh, this is nuts. I mean, this is up there with, like, the Yankees of the, of the early 2000s is what this is. This is way back yeah, it, in terms of dynasties sort of uh, building themselves out here. I was just going to say, this is very interesting, the conversation between with what happened in 2017 and the dynasty-esque aspect of the team itself. It, it's, it's it's a yin and yang kind of thing. Well, you know? and, and to quote Jeff again here, Jeff Pass in ESPN, he alluded to that a little bit, Scott, which was, it stinks that they cheated. It does. Because if you remember the storyline in 2017, do you remember that there was the old Sports Illustrated cover? And that yes. that analytics had basically predicted that this is the year that yep. this team was going to win the World Series. They did it. They the point being, they had built themselves to be a dynasty at that moment, and it worked. And now they have this gray cloud over them forever with the cheating scandal. It's very Barry Bonds, A Rod. You know what I mean? It's yes. it's this great it, thing that has to be asterisked because of this dumbass move. And because of this dumbass move. When Hall of Fame status comes up, how many of the writers are going to remember this yeah. and and go against them as they have Bonds and Clemens? Where does and, sign stealing rank in PEDs right? or gambling? You know what I mean? Where does that rank? I, that's a whole nother conversation because these guys right. are. I mean, Altuve is getting in that conversation. There's no Absolutely. question about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Verlander, I guess, will be a part of that conversation as well for sure. But the. Uh, there's a good young crop here too. They did they've done well draft wise. Obviously, that's been part of the plan. I guess that's how I'll leave it is they are a dynasty. And if they win, it'll be unarguable if they win again this year. They're a dynasty. It's been five straight ALCSs. That's unheard of. It's just unheard of. And uh if they add a lot of winning to it, which they can do this year, you know, neither of us predict they will. But this is a very, very good team. Statistically. Obviously, in the standings and now in the, in the postseason yet again, where they really do their damage, it's an incredible story. And I don't, I don't want to downplay it. And I don't want, you know, I hate that all we see about Houston is the cheating stuff. Because, I, I, like I said, I was really impressed with Jeff, Jeff Passon's ability to say, hey, 
put it all aside. Don't forget it. <laughs> put it all aside here. But if you look on this side, they're really freaking good. And they're really fun to watch. And there's some personalities. There's some swagger. Um, well, and their roster's built from a, a age standpoint. Yeah. They're, they're a mix. They have the young kids that are really coming up now. Yeah. You've got the middle guys that have were on that Sports Illustrated cover. And then you've got the older veterans who have still been able to contribute. So they have a really nice mix on their team. That's why I picked Astros Dodgers a co- couple months ago. Because I thought the Dodgers right. had just copied the the, the 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 game plan of the Houston Astros, especially with the Scherzer acquisition and things like that. Obviously, that didn't work out. But let's talk about the uh, the pitching of both these teams, Scott, in terms of spending. They're neck and neck. In terms of total pitching this year, it was 7th and 8th, respectively, for Houston and Atlanta. Um, and look, that's active. So you bring Verlander in this conversation, Houston's up to 2nd. So it's not that they did, like they didn't try. They knew exactly what they had from a player position standpoint, from a, from a, a starting nine standpoint, but they knew they needed to counter their starting pitching situation. The Braves were fourth in bullpen. Houston was ninth, two top ten bullpen finances. Uh, you know, and here's the thing, and we both kind of already said it. They've got all this money. They've got all this stuff allocated to a payroll. But when you look at the starting pitching rotation for Houston, Grinky's a dog now. Yes, he is. At his, especially at his price. Verlander's out, hasn't seen the mound at all this year. And Odorizzi, who's up there in terms, and, and McCullers, both who have contracts, super inconsistent for Odorizzi. McCullers has been hurt. We're not sure he can actually make the, the World Series roster. So you're talking about this high paid, you know, potentially second highest pitching payroll in baseball. And what you're going to see out there for this World Series is a bunch of $900,000 guys, <laughs> you know, a bunch of 23-year-old kids who are going to be, you know, eyes wide open trying to win a World Series for this team. So it's it's fascinating in that regard that the payrolls don't even factor in in this regard. They are two separate entities. What exists on the payroll and what's going to exist in the World Series roster are two completely separate stories. Yeah, and I'm going to favor the Atlanta pitching staff on this one. Uh, I like what they have, Morton, Smiley, Freed. Uh, I, I just think that... It's certainly uh, more traditional. And I, I, it, it is. I kind of grouched about it this past couple of weeks with these these openers and the bullpen games, and it's it's exhausting to watch. It's exhausting to watch. That's all I hate about it. You know, I, fine. You want to complain about the analytics and how people are overcoaching and all that. I, that's fine. But the data's there. I don't blame them for using it. It's just exhausting to watch seven pitching changes. And you know what I mean? I, it is. Oh, absolutely. I, I missed the, the day where you you had that one workhorse in a, in a yeah. postseason that could go to seventh, eighth inning and then bring in your relief pitcher. You, you, you sort of want to see that that warrior that can go deep. And we haven't had that for a long time. No. All right, injuries. Obviously, we've mentioned Verlander. Because of Verlander, Houston was fourth in injured list dollars. If you take him out, they're tenth. They're tenth. So still pretty high, but not you know, not really something that probably damaged them over the marathon of the season. Atlanta was thirteenth, so right behind them. So yes, they had their their share of injuries, and there's one we have to get to. Of course, we haven't mentioned yet, but um, they weren't you know top five in terms of what was active roster injury. And they certainly weren't the healthiest teams in the league either. They were kind of right in the middle exactly there too. So, but the Braves of course had probably the biggest injury. I I mean, Verlander was going to be a major impact this year, but at his age, 
with his wear and tear, you have to think there was going to be some regression this year. But Acuna Jr., Scott, when he went down on July 11th with that torn ACL, uh, there was just a heck of a lot of people saying, well, that was it. This is the Mets division to lose. Let's just push this thing back for 2022, maybe even 2023, because of how long that recovery is going to take for Acuna Jr. And all they did is looked at that trade deadline in 20 days and said, we're going to rebuild our entire outfield and it's going to become an NLCS MVP outfield and we're going to win the World Series. That's what they did. I mean, certainly not to the degree of winning yet, but Eddie Rosario was acquired from Cleveland. Jock Peterson was acquired from Chicago. Jorge Soler is acquired. Adam Duvall is acquired. All four of these players had major impacts over the past months and postseason run. Walk-off home runs. I mean, just everything. Certainly everything. Have Can you remember something this, this impactful, this quick? I mean, we mentioned how Verlander's acquisition was big. And was. we've had our fair share of World Series winners make, you know, one good big acquisition at the deadline. This is unprecedented. I mean, these guys are all in the starting lineup for the World Series. Yeah, I can't think of one in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, the closest I could probably come to a, a comparison that I can think of off the top of my head is LeBron retooling at the trade deadline yeah. with his roster to get to the finals. Uh, I'll give the you another one. Do you remember when the St. Louis, Louis Blues did this? They were the, the worst Riley? team in hockey, literally the worst team in hockey through the winter. And then at the deadline, they made a ton of changes. They fired their coach. They made a ton yeah. of changes, and they won the freaking Stanley Cup in the next three that, months. That's the year they traded for O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly, correct. Yeah, that year. So that that's yeah. probably the, the another decent example of something like this. And it's not like Atlanta changed their infield as well. Um, you know, Austin Riley and a couple of players really took steps forward that were currently rostered, but it's certainly not common to see an entire outfield change over and then that be the reason that a team is in the World Series. No, but you have to give kudos to the scouting staff, the analytics department, what, what, whoever had a hand in picking these players to say they may have an impact moving forward and we're, we're going to retool this on the fly. You've got to give those individuals a raise because otherwise they, they would not be where they are. Nice right transition, now. right? Because Eddie Rosario is a free agent. Jock Peterson's a free agent. Jorge Soler is a free agent. And Adam Duvall has a mutual option that he's certainly going to decline which makes him el uh, eligible for arbitration four, which is going to be 12 million. You know, it's crazy expensive. So yes, speaking of guys having to get raises, if this is something that they want to keep going forward, and I'm not sure it is, it's going to cost them a lot of money, but you're right. Kudos to the scouts, but kudos to the front office and maybe even the ownership for saying we're buyers. Yeah. We're buyers. Even though our, our, our superstar just went down. And, and trying to look at the silver lining in that, at least Acuna Jr.'s payroll was only five million, where it jumps up next year to yeah. fifteen. So at least you know they're not taking that financial hit where they were able to acquire those players because his hit wasn't as bad. Yeah, yeah, they could afford the rentals this year for sure. It makes you think that the yeah. the band isn't all going to be together next year though. And let's talk about the big one um, to, to sort of transition out of this conversation. I've asked it like six times. I've asked it on Twitter. I've asked it to you. I've asked it to Cousin Dan. How does this team get rid of Freddie Freeman? Yeah, I know. How do they you do it? I, I, it's almost, it's going to have to be like a Ryan Zimmer in Washington where you got to pay him. But to he's going to want like 18, he's, he's going to want like 35 million a year. 
And the Braves are going to offer him like 18. The Braves aren't a team that does a lot of deferred, right? No, nor would I think you want that right now. I, I, I guess... I guess they're just going to rely on the fact that he's going to take the hometown discount. But if San Diego comes calling, if the, you know, if the giants come calling, there's going to be big fish swinging high for him. I, I would have to imagine now he has declined a little bit. I, I think, I mean, he's not catching up the fastballs that he used to catch up to. I, I see quite a bit of him with them, you know, being a Mets apologist, but I still think he's worth a multi-year contract, maybe four to five years. And this just doesn't seem like a team that's going to be shelling out big bucks, unfortunately. It would be a damn shame to see him leave because they've had a good run. I mean, they're one of the teams I think of when I think of franchise players. Absolutely. You know, the Maddox of the world, the, the chippers of the world. They, they, they just have done a good job with that, maybe to a fault. I mean, this is their first World Series since, what, 99, something like that? 99. Yeah. Yes. So it's probably been to a fault. And maybe that's a reason that they move on from Freeman at the end of the day. but. I just can't imagine. He's such an integral part to this team. Even when he's slumping, you know he's about to do something that is so incredibly valuable to this team at some point. And he did. He did. The walk-off home run again. So, um, okay. Fast forward to next year, then we'll get out of here. They're right where they should be next year in terms of estimated payrolls for 2022. The Braves are are 13th, basically where they are now. And the Astros are 10th. So it's a bit of a step back because... There's free agency. There's a lot of uh, mouths to feed in Houston. And like I said, if they're going to feed those mouths, you're talking top five payroll again for Houston, barring a trade or two. So it's, are they considering themselves, you know, viable contenders Houston again? And if they are, can they afford it? Or are they going to try to, so let's say they don't pay Correa. There's other shortstop options out there. You know, there's other options. It's a big shortstop free agency. Are they going to go and find somebody who's, 150 instead of 300. That's possible, but you're you're risking the chemistry there. You're risking a loss in right, chemistry. You are. So it's something to keep an eye on there for sure. Atlanta, I don't imagine too many changes. You know, they could just bring back the outfield they have minus Marcelo Zuna, who I think is probably done with baseball. So they'll have to make an adjustment there. But you know, Acuna, I think, can get himself back early next season with that ACL recovery. And this is a team to watch. It's a team to watch for sure. Martin's under contract well, next year. With that Ozuna contract, mm-hmm. can they recoup that money mm-hmm. or is Good it just going to hit the books again? It'll be on the books. Uh, well, unless something significant happens this winter. You know, if the legal situation sort of figures itself out this winter, they'll be able to start to get some things back if they can recoup bonuses and things like that. It's, uh, it's not a common situation. But he is restricted. He is suspended without pay right now. So there's a, there's at least some relief coming from a tax payroll standpoint. And uh, they should be able to restrict him to the point of where it won't impact their tax payroll next year, Scott. Okay. I, I would say the same thing for the Dodgers with Trevor Bauer, by the way. Right. Yeah. Assuming he opts in. But guess what? He's opted in. Anything else? Um, so Braves and six. After talking that out, you still Braves and six? Yes, I'm brazen. All right, I'm with you. Let's be boring and agree with each other. Good stuff from you, man. All right, have a good one. All right, my thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, Balanced Bridge Funding. Build a bridge against your guaranteed earnings today. Visit balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 